And, and amen. It's good to see you again. You may be seated this morning. The middle schoolers are dismissed at this time. They'll be upstairs in the youth room with Mrs. Hayes. The rest of us, we're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study in John's Gospel. So John chapter 9, we're going to begin reading at verse 8. Last week, we covered the first 12 verses of chapter 9 of John's Gospel, but we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to pick it up at verse 8, and then we'll uh, cover verses 8 through 41 of John chapter 9. If you need a Bible so you can study God's Word with us and read it with us, then just raise your hand and Pastor John will slip you a Bible. But John chapter 9, if you'll turn there in our study this morning, we'll begin reading at verse 8 of John chapter 9. Now keep in mind while you're turning there and, and finding your place there in John chapter 9, that when we opened up chapter 7 a few weeks ago, that Jesus would come from Galilee up to Jerusalem for the feast. And this feast here that he's been at and teaching the people at the feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, as you recall, takes place in the fall of the year. So Jesus is only about six months away from the cross. It will be the following spring that at Passover, that feast, that he's going to be uh, put to death as he will be crucified for your sins and for my sins. But in this time here, we saw that Jesus, teaching during the feast and after the feast, has been making very wonderful declarations, such as, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus then would declare to be the light of the world, and he who follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And Jesus, during this time also, as we saw, would publicly rebuke the religious leaders for their own sin and hypocrisy. And so we've seen that the Jews, and when you read that term Jews here in this gospel, that is speaking of the religious leaders of the nation. We have seen that the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that they are mounting their opposition against Jesus, and they're growing in their hatred of him. And as the religious leaders are plotting to have Jesus put to death, Jesus would say to them, you seek to kill me. Now, they would deny that, but Jesus knew what was in their hearts, and because of your unbelief, you're really not Abraham's children. You're descendants of Abraham physically, but the true children of Abraham are are ones of faith because Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so they would say to him, as Jesus said, that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, what do you mean that you've seen Abraham? You're not but 50 years old. And at that time, Jesus would make that very powerful and wonderful declaration of deity, that before Abraham was, I am. And at that time, they picked up stones to stone him because they knew exactly what it was that he was claiming to be. He was claiming to be God. Father, we do ask that this morning as we get into your word, that you would teach us, Lord, and that you would... Um, touch our hearts with your word. Lord, a wonderful story is before us of one who was born blind, healed by Jesus, that he is not only seen physically, but by the end of our study, we're going to see that he sees spiritually. His eyes truly are opened up. And Lord, we want to be able to see everything that you have for us this morning. So open up our eyes spiritually. I pray that you would touch our hearts deeply. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Now, you recall, those religious leaders, knowing the scriptures, 
they would think back to the book of Exodus when Moses was there talking with God uh, at the burning bush, that Moses said, when I go back to the children of Israel there in Egypt, uh, they're going to want to know your name. What is your name? And the Lord replied, I am that I am. You tell them that I am sent you. And Jesus comes along and says, before Abraham was, I am, ego ami in the Greek, that declaration that he was making that I am God. So they knew the implication of that. They thought it was blasphemy. We are going to stone you right here. But Jesus, because his hour had not come, that he would pass through their midst, he would pass through uh, the temple and hide himself from them. And as he did, as we opened up chapter 9, we saw that there was an individual that was there begging, as we're going to read here in our text. He's blind. He was born blind. And the disciples, as Jesus stopped and noticed him, would ask Jesus, you know, who sinned that this man is, has been born blind? Was it him? Did he sin in his mother's womb? Or was it his parents? And Jesus would say, neither, but that the works of God are going to be revealed because while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And what Jesus did is he put mud in the eyes of that blind man. He would then give him a command, I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which was about a quarter of a mile away, in the lowest part of Jerusalem there that spring, and I want you to wash. And that man, hearing the voice of the Lord and being obedient to the Lord, would go and he would wash, and he came up seeing, and he was healed of that blindness. And so last week, we talked about quite extensively as we made application I think it's worth reminding us once again that, first of all, that we see insight concerning suffering. There is suffering and sadness, and there's tragedy and difficulty that comes to us in this fallen world. And when that happens, we don't understand why it happens to us at times. We don't understand why God allows it. In a couple of Wednesdays, we're going to start the book of Job, and we're going to see that Job is going to suffer great loss. And we're going to get some insight to suffering as we go through the book of Job. But we don't understand everything that takes place in our life and why we go through loss and tragedy at times, why there's sickness and sorrow and, and that happens. But Jesus would say that you will have tribulation. He said that, uh, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And it rains on the just and the unjust. And when we're confronted with those things that we don't understand, remember this, fall back on the things that you do understand. And you take to God's word and stand on his promises and rest in his love for you. So we talked about that quite extensively last week. But secondly, we saw that this story here gives us a picture of salvation. Because this is a picture of you and me. We were born blind spiritually, that is. That as we came to the Lord, as he touched our hearts and drew us to himself by the Holy Spirit, we've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and now we see spiritually. But then thirdly, it encourages us also in our sanctification. This man heard the voice of the Lord to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, and he heeded the command of the Lord. He didn't make excuses. He didn't just sit there in his beggarly state and continue in his blindness. But he heard the Lord's voice, and he went, and he ended up washing in the pool, and he came up seeing. And you and I, as we read the word of God, as we read the commands of the Lord and hear the voice of the Lord, the still small voice of the Lord in our lives, it's very important that we are obedient to the Lord. And that as we are obedient to the Lord, we're going to be walking in the light in a lot of areas of our life 
because he desires for us to. And we're going to see the Lord working in the most amazing ways. So those are the things that we discussed last week as we open up chapter 9. And so as this man, it comes up seeing, his name's not given to us in this chapter, after he washed in the pool of Siloam, we, we left off seeing the reaction of the people. And the rest of the chapter now is going to be uh, telling us and talking about, as we read it uh, this morning, the different reactions of the people around this man who was formerly blind to the miracle that has happened. And they can be the same reactions that people have towards you and me as we have our eyes opened up spiritually, as we now see, as we're walking with the Lord, washed in His blood, and as we're washed in the water of the Word. And perhaps it will explain why certain people are reacting to you the way that they do. You would think here in this story that the people would be amazed, they would be at awe that this man has received his sight, but that's not the case. And people will not always be amazed, at awe, just receiving you and excited for you when you come to Christ. As you get saved, as you're walking in the newness of life, as you have a new sense of purpose because you belong to Jesus Christ. And so we'll get some insight to that as we continue our study. Let's pick it up, as I said, at verse 8 of John chapter 9. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? And some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. So this man, again, we don't know his name, he comes back from the pool scene. And, and his sight given to him, uh, something that he'd never had before. And the first people that encounter him are those who are close to him. That is, perhaps neighbors, those who uh, knew him, lived around him. Uh, and they're saying, isn't this the man that was blind and begged? Others were saying, well, we don't know for sure. It, maybe it's somebody like him, but it really isn't him. And he finally gives the firm answer that it is I, it really is me, I really can't see. When salvation comes to you and to me, after we've been washed with the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, those who perhaps are close to us, that live by us, that uh, are friends to us, will react in the same way. They will say, something different is about you. And they may say, something amazing has happened. Something's new about you because some will see the work that Christ has done in you, opening up your eyes spiritually. And you know the verse, as Paul would write to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're not thinking the way that you used to think, all worldly. You're not behaving the way that you used to behave. Again, in the former lust, as Paul would write to that church. And you're not speaking the same way that you spoke before because your eyes and your heart have been touched in deeply by Jesus. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. So some will say that, oh man, there's something different about you. Uh, something amazing has happened. Something new has happened. But there are also others that will begin to be confused about you as well. They'll say, is this really you? Have you really changed? Have your eyes really been opened up? You know, they know that something has happened, but they're a bit confused about you as they see the reality of Jesus Christ 
being worked out in you. And so they notice here that this man's eyes have been opened up. And let's continue in verse 10. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes open? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. And then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So they're asking him, how were your eyes opened up? And we will continue to see the reaction of others, including the Pharisees. And listen, the reaction and the focus is on how. How are your eyes opened up? Keep that in the back of your mind as we continue through this chapter. We're going to see that this man who was healed by Jesus is going to focus on him, Jesus. You see, as you come to salvation... People will, will notice the change that is in you. They truly are a new creation in Christ. They don't understand it. And they'll begin to ask you, how is it that you behave differently? How is it that you're talk differently? How is it that there's, there's something new about you? How is it that you have a sense of peace that's in your heart? How is it that you have joy? How is it that, that you have this wisdom? And they ask, how? What's the procedure? What's the method? What is the religion? And that's what people will say to you and me. And the answer that we know is what is the true answer is it's not how, it's him. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's being touched by the true and the living God who has truly made us alive and opened our eyes spiritually. It's him. And that's what this man is going to continue to say. And we're going to see the Pharisees, they're going to be drilling this man now as he's brought before the religious leaders. And they're saying, how is it? And how did he do this? And this man is going, it's Jesus. This man, Jesus. And his understanding of Jesus will grow as we continue through the chapter. But in verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So the healing of this blind man takes place on the Sabbath day. And that was a problem to the Pharisees. We've seen that in this gospel, haven't we? In John chapter 5, when Jesus healed that man who had a physical infirmity for 38 years, that man couldn't walk. And Jesus told him, that you stand up, he healed them, take up your bed and walk. And the Pharisees, as that miracle took place on the Sabbath, that as the Pharisees saw this man carrying his bed, they said, who told you you can do that? And he said, well, this man Jesus healed me. And they were so furious at Jesus because he healed on a Sabbath day. In the Synoptic Gospels, we see the same thing. For example, in Mark chapter 3, up in Capernaum, when Jesus went into the synagogue, the religious leaders are there. They're wanting to trap Jesus. There's a man with a withered hand. Jesus healed that man on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And it was a, a real bone of contention with particularly the Pharisees who were so dedicated to keeping the most minute details of the law. They were called the separated ones. We are going to keep the Sabbath perfectly. And they saw that healing on the Sabbath was breaking the Sabbath law, that it was unlawful, and it was work, and there's to be no work to be done on the Sabbath. You cannot do that. It's unlawful. 
It is interesting, I mentioned this last week, I think, that in um, the Pharisees' keeping, the most minute details of the law, the scribes came along, they interpreted the law. Many of the scribes were Pharisee, the Pharisees themselves. And in that, the scribes made up all these rules and regulations, what constitutes breaking the Sabbath day. Like you couldn't tie a knot in a rope. That's considered work. You could not spit on the ground because it could mix with the, the clay, the mud, and that be, could be considered making mortar. That's work. Interesting, Jesus would spit on the ground, make mud, and wipe it in the man's eyes on the Sabbath day. So here they're furious with Jesus. This man can't be of God. And, and he's breaking the law, which he wasn't. So they're ignoring the religious establishment here. The miracle that took place, they were more into their legalism and into their religious structure and order and tradition. Now there's a division, as we read, that's taken place among the religious group. And we've seen that in John's gospel, that the people were divided over Jesus as well. And that will happen concerning Jesus, won't it? It was Jesus that said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and daughter against her mother. A man's enemies will be of his own household, but he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So in our devotion and commitment to Jesus, it can and will cause division even within our own family, with friends, those who we're close to. And it can be very hard, can it? And it can be very hurtful. And many of you have been through that or are going through that presently. There is a division because you love the Lord. And there are those who are not applauding you because you are standing for the Lord and living for the Lord. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 33, Jacob and Esau were brothers. They were twins. And we know that as Jacob was coming back from Pandanaran, he had all his wives, he had his, all his children, he had his, all his flocks. He meets Esau. He hadn't seen Esau for 20 years. And in that reunion, it was a very warm reunion that Esau was introduced to Jacob's children, to his wives and concubines, and, and they embraced each other. But then Esau, who was carnal, would say to Jacob, why don't you travel with us? Go with us. And Jacob said, no. You need to go ahead. We're going to go to the promised land. And I know that many of you have said that. You love your family, you love your children, you love your parents, you love your relatives, you care about your friends, but you're not going to travel with them because they're going to travel to the world and you're going to go to the promised land. And I want to encourage you that the Lord is there to just comfort you and to strengthen you and to bless you. So there's a division here. Some saying he breaks the Sabbath, which, again, he hadn't done. But others were saying, how could he do such signs? I mean, how can you deny the fruit? I mean, the guy's eyes are opened up, so there was a division. There always will be when Jesus is touching, when he's saving, when he's changing people's lives. In verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. 
One of the other things that we want to take note of here is as the story unfolds here in the chapter, notice that this man who was blind, his understanding of Jesus is increasing. It's growing. Uh, in verse 11, he said, the man Jesus told me to go wash in the pool. Now he's saying he's a prophet. He's a prophet. So he's growing in understanding, growing in faith. He's maturing and recognizing that Jesus is more than a man. He's a prophet, but he's not going to stop there. We'll see that he's going to come to full circle to where he's going to understand that he is Lord. But first in verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him. They had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. So the first group of people that we saw reacting to the miracle were the ones who were close to this man, neighbors, friends, and they're debating about him. They're, they're confused about him. Is it really you? Yes, it is me. And then there's the religious leaders that are angry at him, not believing that he had really been blind and, and that he had been healed. And now thirdly, they bring in the family, his parents, verse 19. And they ask them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered him and said, We know that he is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. In verse 23, therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So the religious leaders are trying to explain away this miracle, aren't they? Hey, is this your son? Was he really born blind? Tell us. And they're looking for that explanation. How? People will do that with you. They'll do that with the miracles that are in the Bible. They'll try to explain it away. These so-called scholars will come along. For example, you've probably heard those who try to dismiss the crossing of the Red Sea as the children of Israel are backed up against the Red Sea and the waters departed. And there was a wall of water, as the psalm says, on both sides, and they crossed on dry land. And there are those who will come along and say, well, it really wasn't the Red Sea. It, it, probably Moses, the writer of you know, the book of Exodus, meant the reed seed, R-E-E-D. And that's just a swamp land that's there in the, in the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. And that's what they crossed in six inches of water. That's what Moses was talking about. Well, if you really believe that, then explain why the Egyptian... Soldiers drowned in six inches of water, all right? That's even a greater miracle, if you want to believe that. They'll come along and they'll say, oh, you know, the, the burning bush that wasn't consumed. We can explain that very easily. You see, there's a bush there in the Sinai Peninsula, and it secretes oil. When it gets really hot, it'll begin to spark. And they'll explain it away. When the text tells us that there, the bush, there was a consuming fire, it didn't consume the bush, but it was an, you know, a fire, flames. It was awesome. It was incredible. A sight to see that Moses saw as he's herding the sheep down below. They will begin to try to explain away the resurrection. That is the very foundation of our faith. Oh, the disciples went to the wrong tomb. Oh, the, you know, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just passed out. And when he was put into 
the grave that he revived. He didn't resurrect, and he pushed away that large stone and snuck by the guards without anybody seeing him. They'll say the disciples came and stole the body away. And you can look at that, and you can easily dismiss all of those theories. But they will also try, as I said, to dismiss a great, great miracle, the greatest miracle of all, and that is you. A changed individual whose eyes have been opened up, whose lives have been changed. People come along and say, well, you know, they're just into religion right now. It's just a phase that they're going through. It's just, you know, they're weak. And once they, get, you know, grow up and, you know, become more intelligent, then they'll be able to think for themselves. You know, they'll try to explain away what God has done in changing you and saving you and forgiving you. So the parents were brought before the Jews. They confirmed that, yes, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind. We don't know how it is that he sees. He's of age. You go ask him. He's old enough to answer for himself. Now, why this reaction from the parents? You see, they want to distance themselves from this miracle. You know, leave us out of this because they were afraid of the Jews because they had already agreed, as we read, that they will excommunicate anybody who believes in Jesus and follows after him. And excommunication was a very, very, very scary thing 2,000 years ago. It's not like today. If you're excommunicated or asked to leave a church, you can go down the street to the next church or to the next church after that without anybody really knowing about it. It wasn't that way 2,000 years ago. If you were excommunicated from the synagogue, it was like you couldn't do that. Spiritually, you couldn't worship at the synagogue. You could not worship at the temple. You couldn't do sacrifices. Uh, you know, socially, you were an outcast. Nobody wanted to do, have anything to do with you. Economically, you were ruined. If you had a business, no one did business with you. If you had a job, you were fired. So it was a very, very frightening thing. Sometimes family members do get uncomfortable with us as we make a stand for Jesus. Hey, what's up with your son? What's up with your daughter? All of a sudden, they're religious. I have known parents that were uncomfortable because of their children coming to Jesus personally. And I remember several years ago, I had a parent actually say to me, when their teenage son came to Jesus Christ, one who was troubled in their life, and the parent actually said to me, I like my son, my kid better, before they came to Jesus. I was, I was floored when I heard that. And some of you have heard similar things. And you've experienced similar things like this. And also, parents... You parents, maybe you have children that are uncomfortable with you because of your love for the Lord, because your eyes have been opened up. But you stand fast for the Lord, and you continue to grow in His love. So here are these parents. They want to distance themselves. You, you go ask Him. And they did this out of fear of the Jews. In verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. I don't know what your beef is with this Jesus. I don't understand everything about him, myself right now. But one thing that I know, listen and underlined it, verse 25. I was blind, but now I see. He's touched my life. 
He's changed my heart. He's opened up my eyes. And that's a testimony that every single one of us can have, especially for those who are confused about us or come against us. <laughs> I was touched by Jesus, and I was blind, but now I see. In verse 26, then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> You're not listening. You want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple as well? And I imagine, I can just, the redness in their face, their countenance. When he said that, that must have really irritated them. The idea of this previously blind beggar sarcastically suggesting that they were interested in Jesus was more than their pride could handle. I mean, this man here, He's really standing fast, isn't he? He is standing fast even though he knows that probably he's going to get excommunicated. The scripture says to you and to me to stand fast in the faith. Here is one who was blind and begging and looked down upon and he's standing before these guys that have prestige and power in the nation, and he's standing up to them. How about you and me? When it comes to family members, when it comes to coworkers, when it comes to whoever it might be, do we stand fast in the faith? And as we've been going through the book of Esther, that's one of the things that I've brought out a couple of times that Esther, at one time, there was a time where she had to reveal her identity and put her life on the line to save her people, to go before the king. And there's going to be that time in all of our lives as Christians that your faith is going to be tested. And you're going to have to make a decision whether you're going to stand fast in the faith. I am not going to go with you guys after work to the place and hang out at the bars and, and drink and party or whatever. I'm not going to go and watch these things. I'm not going to participate in that because I am a Christian and I love the Lord. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get my family and we're going to go to Wednesday night service. And they might think that you're a freak, but you can just tell them you're a Jesus freak. And I love the Lord and I stand fast for him and I am not going to travel with you and I am going to learn of him and I'm going to be refreshed and renewed and comforted and blessed because I follow him. Do you stand fast in the faith or do you waver? Do you compromise? Do you cave in? This man didn't and he isn't. Verse 28, they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, Why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Again, we see that when the religious leaders cannot explain the works of Jesus, they begin to ridicule, they begin to to revile this man. We're Moses' disciples. We don't know where this man came from. And this blind man, or previously blind man, he amazes me, his wisdom, his boldness. He says, it's a marvelous thing. You don't know where he comes from. 
He's opened up my eyes. That's never been heard of from the beginning of the world. In other words, it was like this man was saying that your unbelief and stubbornness and hardness of heart in what is so evident is amazing. I don't understand it. It's more amazing than the miracle that was performed. We know that God doesn't hear sinners, and he could be making reference, or at least we can think about what Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 says for you note-takers, that I will hide my eyes from you, says the Lord, even though you make many prayers. I will not hear your hands are full of blood. Or Psalm 66, verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So this formerly blind man has given these religious leaders really a theological lesson. And of course, this upsets them. So their reaction is they answer and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you're teaching us and they cast them out. You're completely born in sin. Who do you think that you are to teach us? And he got the left foot of fellowship. They excommunicated him. They booted him out. And some of you have been excommunicated. You've been excommunicated from your family. You've been excommunicated by your friends. You've been excommunicated by coworkers. Who do you think that you are to tell us about Jesus? Who do you think that you are to tell us that we need to repent and turn to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness of sin? Who are you to tell me that I need to walk in obedience to him? And it can come from those that are close to us and linked to us who seem to be religious. They'll say, I'm a good person. What do you need? I need to come to Jesus. I, I'm smart. I, I know God. And it can be the reaction of some people. And we've seen as we've gone through John's gospel that Jesus has made it very clear. If you don't know me, you don't know the Father. And if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And there are those who will seem religious or a good person that will excommunicate you because you make a firm stand and have a belief in the one true gospel, and that is Jesus is Lord, and he is our salvation alone. There's no other salvation. There's no other salvation. I know that some of you have experienced that separation from others because of your love and stand for the Lord. But you know what the good news is for you? Well, let's read on, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus knew and, and had heard that this man had been cast out, and in verse 35, I want to draw attention to when Jesus found him. You see, when others give you the boot and kick you out of their life, they don't want anything to do with you. They're going to put you down. They're going to ridicule you. Know this, and especially when you're hurting because of it, that Jesus will find you, and he will become very, very real to you. And he will minister his comfort to you, just as he did to this man. And here's the thing. This man being rejected and excommunicated was actually a good thing. 
He was being excommunicated from a religious system that had done nothing for him, shown contempt to him, looked down on him. And when you come to Christ, as you're excommunicated from the world, or those who live worldly, remember this, that it's a good thing. Because you're siding with the Lord and you belong to the kingdom of God. Our hope is not in this world. And that you let the Lord bring that comfort to you and strength to you that you need. And to continue to be a light to others. And as you see what Jesus says to this man, we read that he comes full circle, doesn't he? At first he called him the man, verse 11. Then he's a prophet, verse 17. And now he's my Lord. And he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He comes full circle, and at last, at last, his eyes are opened up. But Pastor Jeff, they were opened up in the beginning of the chapter. No, his eyes are opened up truly, because now they're opened up spiritually. And his heart is given over to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he worships him. And that's what true faith will lead you to do, to worship. He's no longer worshiping a religious system. He's no longer worshiping the temple. He's worshiping in spirit and truth. And the one who opened his eyes, his testimony is this, and we have the same testimony that I was blind, but now I see truly. And we all have that testimony, and we may not have a great theological knowledge of things, but I want to encourage you, you keep learning. Keep coming and learning of him, going through the scriptures, knowing him. And as you do, you give out what you do know. This is what this man did. They're drilling him. They're pressing him. They're coming down on him. And he said uh, that I, I know. I know this man. I know that he's a prophet. But now I know that he is Lord. And all of us here today that believe, we have that same testimony as we stand on that, that he is Lord. And people see the reality of Christ in our lives. They can't refute that. And yes, it's real what has happened to us. And now I can see spiritually. And he has changed my heart. And Lord, I believe in you. And I worship you now. And in Jesus receiving worship from this man, that was something that was only to be given to God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan was tempting him, bow down to me, Satan said to Jesus, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Bow down and worship me. And Jesus answered and said to Satan, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, only him you shall serve. Jesus knew that worship was to be for God only. And Jesus accepting worship, not only here, but other places in the gospel narratives, he thus is being consistent with his claims of deity, claims of God that only he is worthy of worship. And Jesus is receiving this worship and he is saying that I am God. And Jesus said, for this judgment I have come into this world, verse 39, as we close, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. What is Jesus saying here to these Pharisees? What he's saying is, that the person who says that I am blind, I'm begging, I'm weak, I have need, I need Jesus to touch me, I know that he's more than a man, I know that he's more than just a prophet, but he is the Son of God who declared to be the light of the world, who died for my sins, and I've been washed with the blood of Jesus, and I'm forgiven, and I'm no longer in darkness, 
blinded by this world. I now walk in the light of life in Jesus Christ. You see, you and I see as believers, but the one who says, oh, I, I see, I, I know God, I got it all figured out, but I don't have need for Jesus. I'm good, I'm religious, I'm intelligent. I have no need for Jesus. Again, Jesus said, you don't believe in me, you don't know the Father. If you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And you continue in darkness. And these religious leaders did not believe they had rejected him, so he said that your sin remains. For this man, the whole chapter is given to the miracle that happened to him, sight restored, but the greatest miracle is that his heart was changed. And he admitted his spiritual blindness. And Jesus touched his heart and saved him to where now he sees truly. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this incredible story that is recorded for us, a whole chapter in this gospel. And Father, this morning, I just want to pray for those who are listening on live stream. I want to pray for any of us that are here out in the coffee shop or in this sanctuary. That, Lord, if there's anyone here that has not surrendered their heart and their life to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, for salvation, the gospel message is this, that we have all sinned. We're all blind spiritually. We're all dead spiritually, Ephesians chapter 2. And Jesus said that you must be born again. Jesus said to repent and believe in me. And that word repent simply means change direction. Quit going by the way of the world and turn to him for salvation. Listen, if your life was to come to an end today, tomorrow, and you don't know what would happen to you, you don't know if you're right with God, you don't know if you're forgiven, you don't know if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, he wants to touch you right now and save you. He said, come to me and believe in me for everlasting life. And the Bible says that as you believe in him, that he died for your sins, that as he went to the cross, all of us sinners he died for, all of our sins were placed upon him as he hung on that cross. He made atonement. He, he redeemed us. He was the propitiation. That is the satisfaction for sin, a sacrifice for for you and me. There's no other sacrifice for sin. Listen, no one else died for you. No one else rose from the grave because you see he's alive. He rose three days later. He was put into a tomb. The tomb is empty. He's alive. He wants to save you if you've never surrendered your life personally to Jesus. You can't earn salvation. It's a free gift. It comes by believing in him, giving your heart to him right where you're sitting. If that means anything to anyone, whether you're watching live stream or whether you're here in this place, you cry out to the Lord right now. You pray, Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I believe in my heart that you are Lord who died for my sins. And I ask that you would forgive me. And I believe that you rose from the grave and you're alive 
And Lord, you're touching my heart right now. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. Open my eyes spiritually. Change my heart deeply. And Lord, help me to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name. Listen, if any of you prayed that prayer, I want you to do something. I want you to put your hand up and put it back down, even if you're out in the sanctuary. We give this opportunity for you to come to Christ. Anybody at this service at this time, just put your hand up, put it back down. Don't have to be afraid. Raising your hand doesn't save you, but you're saying that I am making a stand, just as this blind man did, that I believe in you, Lord. I've made a decision for Jesus. Anybody at all here in this sanctuary, we want to pray for you. We want to, God bless you. I see you over at the right. Anybody else at all? If you're out in the sanctuary, we have pastors, people that minister to you. Anybody else? We're not going to prolong this. All right. And right now, we're almost done. I know it's getting late and it's lunchtime, but one more thing. While our eyes are closed right now and we're just being respectful of others, maybe you're here and maybe the Lord has been speaking to you about standing fast in the faith. Being obedient to the Lord as this man heard the command of the Lord and came up singing, seeing and then standing firm in the faith and maybe there's been compromise in your life. Maybe that at work you're afraid to to really stand for the Lord or do what's right or stay away from traveling with those who are going to the world and worldly pleasures. Maybe there's been that kind of thing. Maybe, maybe you've been afraid to stand up to your family. I want to pray for you. That Lord, that you would help all of us just to stand fast in the faith and to others that are around us. And we know that they may not applaud us. They may revile us. But Lord, we belong to you and we want to be faithful to you. Lord, help us to do that. And Father, I pray you strengthen everyone here that is in this place. And Lord, that we would leave this place knowing that you travel with us. Strengthen everyone. Help us to be a light and to stand fast in the faith. So, Lord, we do thank you for this time that we've had this morning. Bless everyone's day and week. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your wisdom. Direct us and guide us in everything. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen, amen and amen. God is good. Why don't you stand with us?